Hi, my name is Jenny Donnelly, and this is Shauna Danberg, and you've joined the Don't Mess With Our Kids podcast hosted by Her Voice Movement. You know, there's a lot of women from teenagers up to grandmothers and especially the mama bears who have said enough is enough. And the attack on our children, Shauna, has gone too far. And I know a lot of listeners are thinking the same thing and wondering how they can get involved and use their voice. And so... There is a grassroots movement called Don't Mess With Our Kids rising up in America, and there's several ways you can engage and be involved. One is to share this podcast. Another one is to pray and stand in your state capitol on April 13th, 2024. And then here's the big giant charge forward, which is one million women and their families praying together, fasting together, and standing in one historical day in Washington, D.C. in the fall of 2024. The point and the purpose of this podcast is to bring awareness, education, prayer, and especially bring action to turn America back to God. And today we have the second episode with Lance Walnow, and I'm so pumped about it. You guys heard last week we introduced him. I want to get straight into this. Thank you so much, Lance, for being on here today. And listen, we've had some pretty cool conversations (laughs) when we weren't recording. And so we're going to have to bring it all back because yeah. we are getting fired up behind the scenes here about what's going on. I really believe that America can turn around Lance. I, I believe that God wants to use common people. He wants to yeah. use uh, people just like me. I'm a mother who's concerned. And I'm also a mother that says, I'm not going to hand over a nation and apologize to my kids for being a big old wimp. If I can mm-hmm. just lay it that plane. Okay. I want to, I, I really want my grandkids to see in America that God intended. Right. And so we're, we're super serious about this. And so let's pick up where we left off in our last episode. Lance, we started talking about revival and reformation. I know the word revival, you know, it's, it's caught fire. I have t-shirts with revival. I love revival. Revival has to happen. What is this reformation side that we need to get a hold of? You know, it's funny what you're saying. The Lord told me a while ago, he said, revival is Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. She was voluptuous. She was beautiful. She was his first love. (laughs) Leah is reformation. She's the less attractive sister that produces the government, the priesthood, and the ultimate dominion of Christ. In other words, Leah was the one who birthed like Judah out of which the Messiah came. Rachel was beautiful, but, uh, you know, and thank God for Joseph and for Benjamin, but the priesthood and Levi and government and Simeon and Reuben, seeing the kingdom, hearing the kingdom, being a priesthood and governing all came from the unwanted wife. So wow. the church wants to see the kingdom come. They want to hear God's voice. They, and this is what Simeon means, what Reuben means. They want to be, we want to see a royal priesthood, the priests of Levi and Judah dominating in the culture, but they're not willing to leave the sanctuary to go to the unattractive battle zone. They want to sit there and have God come visit them with glory and gold dust and miracles and be slain in the spirit, thinking that the multitudes will come out to their Azusa Street and America shall be saved. Let me tell you, Mm -hmm. the number one problem we have with this revival focus, I have to say, is my company of preachers. Because if you think about it, where does revival take you? It takes you right to the preachers and the teachers and the revivalists. Revival and revivalists go together. So all the ministries that have ministries, they're all preaching revival, what God wants to say. It brings all the attention back to what they're doing. 
The reason why we're in the mess we're in is we never equip the church to go out and do what they're called to do. They're not right. called to be in the church. I'm a Levite. My, I'm an Ashkenazi Jew in my father's bloodline. We're the Levites. So I, I actually have a call. I'm a teacher in the Bible by bloodline. I could understand why God would make me a rabbi. The Levites didn't get to go occupy territory. They didn't rule on the throne. They didn't make Solomon's fortune. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. 90% of the church is called to go out and unpack the power of God in some sphere outside of the sanctuary. Wow. But we put them all back in the sanctuary to seek God for a revival. Mm -hmm. Reformation is where we need the church to go in education because they're coming after your children. Uh, we need reformation in, 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 in government because they're coming after your children. And when you have media and you have government and you have big business all conspiring to come after your children, you yeah. don't want to be in the sanctuary saying, you know, I've got my antidote and it's going to be my revival. You actually have to unpack your revival out there. Now that's called reformation. Wow. Okay, so I'm just I'm just thinking about the person who goes, okay, I hear I hear you, Lance. I understand what reformation is, but why? Why would we go after reformation when Jesus is coming back any minute here? And you know, why why don't mess with our kids? Why put time and effort into this when things are just gonna get worse and worse? We know the end of the story, Jesus is coming back, so well, that's, that's a legitimate question. And that okay. is, and, and it's something which, you know, I, I, anyone who's rational has to think about. Why would I um, be um, trying to save my money and get out of debt when I know America is going to head to a Great Depression? Because you're going to mitigate the pain of the Great Depression if you prepare yourself for it. So if you want government to continue to allow you the freedom to be able to meet as a Christian family and not muzzle your children so that they can't speak Jesus' name, then you must meet the enemy at the gates and draw a line thus far and no further because there's going to be different places affected differently by the coming tribulation and distress. Nobody knows the day or the hour when Jesus comes back. Okay. The last thing you want to do is find out he's coming back in 20 years and you disconnected from your assignment, from your obedience, and from your influence 19 years before he was coming back and didn't right. bring him the fruit of what he gave you to accomplish. You know who that is? That's the wicked and slothful servant That's who it. took wow. the gift that God gave them of influence, of Very money, good. of evangelism, of creativity, of entrepreneurial excellence, and instead of putting it to work to give him something when he comes back, they buried it thinking it's no use anyway proving the primary spirit behind those Christians who use the rapture and the end times as a cover for disengagement is laziness. Wow. Wow. That's intense. Ooh. I think that's right. And fear. I think it's, yeah, la well. lazy, it's laziness and fear. And, yeah. and they hide their cowardice behind a theological veil. Well, the Lord's coming back anyway. The worst state in the United States and the one that has the greatest mm -hmm. potential is California. California, as they say, because California goes, so goes the nation. We better pray that isn't the case because right now they're passing legislation that allows 18-year-old males to have sex with 13 or 14-year-old boys, and they're making it a law. They're, they're, they're struggling right now. Newsom had to draw a line because he's looking at the White House and saying, ah, you know what, I'd like to take the parents' children away from them if they don't affirm transgender. If their kid wants to convert mm -hmm. to another gender, I'd like to pull them away so the state takes them. 
but I don't think America's ready for that yet. I gotta draw the line there. So he goes right up to the line, tests the weather, but these guys don't have a conscience on where they're gonna take your family in the future. What I'm saying is California has more Christians there, uh, have, has enough Christians in order to flip California so that they reform it. The number one wow. problem in California is only half the Christians are registered to vote. The other problem is only half of those that are registered show up to vote. And the major problem is it's places like um, where Chuck Smith was and the place where the revival happened in the Jesus movement where they preach a gospel of the rapture and disengagement from culture. So you don't have, so Christians are basically thinking the rapture is gonna happen soon. Maybe we'll accelerate when the Lord comes back by letting things deteriorate faster. That's pure selfishness. And I can promise you, the Lord isn't coming back for a selfish bride. No. And it feels like it's playing God because there's been times in history when things have gone on where you would think, well, surely Jesus is coming back right now, but we aren't to play God. We aren't to decide. We are to occupy until he comes. Every era has said that. I mean, when I was in the 90s, we were talking, I I dropped out of college because uh, it was... uh, uh, every, every theme that I had during the Jesus movement, the 1970s, was, you know, um, the, the second coming of Christ, the rapture. Uh, soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Maranatha Ministries, you know, was, everything had a focus on the second coming. So I said, what's the use? What's the value? I dropped out. And I wanted to go do soul winning, the only thing I thought was important. And uh, it took me till I was like 40 years old. The Lord hadn't come back yet. And I realized that for me to influence universities and colleges, I actually had to have a master's degree to write curriculum, even do textbooks. So I had to go in my 40s and get a master's degree um, because I was premature listening to the end time teachers who said Jesus is coming back any day. Well, if he's coming back any day, you better better occupy right up to the moment he comes and be ambitious about giving him something to show him when he returns. Wow. And even, you know, when you look biblically for people who say, well, I don't know if Reformation is biblical. Well, when you read the Bible, that's what you're going to see. And, you know, we're kind of following Esther here. We feel like we're in an Esther moment in time. And you have to look at what happened with her. So she's a young gal. They say maybe 14 years old. Her parents have died. Mordecai adopts her, which is incredible. Um, But what happens is she does get chosen as the queen. That's pretty cool. She probably thought at that moment, whew, I've arrived. I'm safe in the palace, you know, just in time for Mordecai to ruin her comfort zone. And he comes in and says, hey, the decree has been passed. The Jews are going to be annihilated. But the only hope would be Esther. You're right there in the palace. You could talk to the king. Her first response back is I can't. I mean, essentially, that's the translation. It's illegal. It's against the law. Hey, I'd love to save my nation, but I can't. And I think we're in right now, we're in Esther 413. I don't think the church is in 414. 414 is for such a time as this. You know, it's kind of Mordecai's like, we're going to do this. But in 413, Mordecai says to Esther, "Uh, Esther, you're already dead. He basically says, I know you can't, but here's the problem with that answer. Don't think that just because you're in your palace. Right that you are safe from the destruction of the Jews. In other words, you're already dead, Esther. I used to think when she said, if I die, I die, that that was a noble, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, declaration, which there's some nobility to it. But I think she just logically said, wait a minute. So what you're saying is they're going to kill me even though I'm in the palace? Yep. 
yep, you'll go down too. And she says, okay, so I'm going to die for sure here. And if I go to the king, I might die. I mean, there's a good chance I'll die because it's illegal to do this. And she kind of looked at her two options and said, well, if I die, I die. Here's what she did. She called for a fast. She called for prayer. She was hardcore too. She said, don't eat or drink. Okay. The girl wasn't on a Daniel fast. She just had everybody. It's, it's serious. But what she didn't do was just pray and fast for an angel to show up to the king. God, would you just make an angel show up? Or how about his Mm. servant? His servant, that guy that always brings him wine every three seconds. Maybe that guy, maybe that guy can tell him what's really going on. She didn't wimp out. She didn't duck. She didn't dodge the command which from Mordecai, which was you go tell him. And so as we look at this, we've been saying we're going to pray. We're going to fast, but we're going to stand. If we just pray and fast, then we've ha- we have our head in the sand. We have to stand. We're going to have to use our voices. And there's been such a spirit of fear over the church. It's becoming unnerving, to be honest. It, it's, it's bothering me, okay? <laughs> because I'm a mother. I have five children. I don't have grandkids yet, but I can easily see where this thing's headed. I asked my daughter, a Gen Z, she's 15. Her name's Esther. I said, Esther, do you think that moms and dads should fight you think don't mess with our kids is a worthy fight right now? Do you see what's going on in America? And she said, mom, I think my age needs to fight. She goes at this rate, my kid will come home from school and want to be a goldfish. That's what she said to me. (laughs) And I thought, man, I said, I I totally underestimated the fact that she was grabbing a hold of the urgency of the hour that America is in a crisis, but I have such hope in people moving into action, common people. You know, I don't need to look for some big name to do something big. And I I hope big names use their influence. I hope they stand before the Lord and say, you know what? I'm going to stand. I'm going to risk. Because here's the real question. Do any of us have a palace that will save us? I mean, where America's headed, if we just let this thing slip on down the mountain... Do, does my ministry, does her voice ministry just save me from this thing? My kids does, being in homeschool. Right. The homeschool yeah, palace. I homeschool my kids, but that's not going to save mm-hmm. my family. And so there's this delusion that because I have X amount of followers on Instagram, or I have a, a ministry that's going really well, or I have a really great business, which are all godly assignments. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not godly, but the Lord had to come head to head with me and say, what if those things, Jenny, what if the success that you're having in your family right now? What if the success of your businesses, what if the success of your church, of your ministry, what if those successes hinge upon the next 12 months, America being back on her feet, back on her godly feet again. And so I just couldn't stand before God and give it excuses anymore. That's how I made it here. I'm just a common woman that loves Jesus and has kids and can see a little bit down the road and want to do something about it. And that's why we're calling people to this hour. What thoughts do you have about that, Lance? I mean, especially the palace concept. What do you think about that? I, I think it's profound. I've never thought that if I die, I die means, and I think you're right, that she realized that if she can't hide in the palace and have immunity because she'll be outed by somebody that she's a Jew um, and all Jews, reluctantly to the king, he'll say, reluctantly, honey, you got to go. Uh, basically, she thought she might be able to escape the purge. And so she would die if she got rejected by him because he has to hold out a scepter when she goes to court uninvited, which means that you might not think the timing is right, but wow. uh, risking your life is, uh, is a matter of obedience, not convenience. So I think you're, you're spot on. And the idea that you're saying that, I don't, want to, I don't want the people listening to catch this, that Esther 4.13, 
is the date when you're talking about everyone coming out, but, uh, but that corresponds to April 13, too. So that April 13 is a date it was picked because it's connected to the, even the Esther scripture on, on 413. And I believe that all of what you're saying is absolutely right. And the part that I think is the most disconcerting is the, uh, when you say that Reformation has to be sold to Christians, it seems kind of bizarre when you paint the picture that you're painting that Christians have to be told They've got to go forth to where the battle is and show up. And I think you put your finger on it, and it is fear that a lot of them, we've been so soft. You know, what happens is you have a generation that's raised without warfare, and then it's afraid. Yep. This is, God knew this when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt. He didn't take them directly into their inheritance. He said, lest their hearts fail them when they see war. Meaning we've been, wow. we've become, in a sense, they were slaves, but they, they had a routine that was, they didn't even realize how, how little they were operating with in terms of God's inheritance, but they were happy there. And I think we're happy to settle for less so long as we have personal peace and prosperity. Francis Schaeffer, the great theologian, wrote years ago, he predicted the end time church would have this problem, that we would give up our freedom in exchange for the promise of personal peace in our time and don't interrupt my finances. And we would surrender our courage and our rights. And I think we've done that. I think for the sake of personal peace and prosperity, we've allowed the enemy to gobble up our liberties. Now, here's the problem. With, temporary. Yeah, with the, with the palace scenario, is that I was looking at something like just this morning. Uh, Tucker has a very interesting uh, nine-minute segment. I just posted it on Twitter if somebody wants to grab it or probably by the time this broadcast is out, you just have to hunt it down. But it was just within the last 24 hours, he talks about as, an, as, a, as a guy who considers himself a Christian, he says he loves the Apostle Paul. He said, here's a guy who was the worst of the worst who became the best of the best, which gives you hope that anyone can change. He said, but the characteristic of Paul was he burned up every day of his life knowing he had a sentence of death on his head. So he wanted to get all the distance out of everything he did because he was courageous about death, saying, basically, if I died, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. He said, if you're a Christian and you're afraid to die, what does it tell you about the reality of your Christianity? Come on. I mean, he threw it right out there. And he said he okay. quit the Episcopal Church when during COVID, his, a woman who was the minister said she wasn't going to have services for fear that she could contract the disease and die. He said, well, you evidently don't even believe in your own Christian inheritance because you're worried about what happens next. So that's, yeah. what, that's what caused him to disengage. That's Tucker. Everybody loves Tucker. That's his spiritual journey out of the organized church. He says, I love the church, but I had to exit because their fear in dealing with things is incongruent with what they say they believe. Wow. Think about that. Wow, that is so powerful. Okay, well, I think... <laughs> so good. I think we need lands to pray the spirit of intimidation off of this country. <laughs> no, but we do. It, mm -hmm. we're, we're at the closing point, and I just... That is so profound, and thank you, Lance, so much, because your perspective is unique. You bring something. It's like we talk about in our culture, the beach ball, mm -hmm. and we hold up a beach ball, and we say, what color do you see, Lance? And you're like, red. And I say, well, I see blue. And yeah. we're both right. Some <laughs> things are absolute truth. Some things are right and wrong. But this is like our views, our opinions. And you bring a side of the beach ball that 
not a lot of people are bringing to the table. And so thank you so much for what you're bringing. Thank you for what you brought, but would you just pray whatever is in you, um, over our audience? We just, we always want to close with prayer because that's what we're about, but prayer, it, it changes things. And so would you do that for us? Absolutely. I, I, I want to share something because I've, I remember there was a writer on time management years ago who gave a great illustration. He said, um, he said, you don't have to be courageous to do something courageous. He mm -hmm. said, it, it all has to do with what your attention is on. He said, for instance, he said, uh, if I took an average housewife here and said, I've got a, a, you know, a one foot wide board between one building and another, and I'd like you to walk out 10 feet onto the board and come back again, uh, you'd look down those 30 stories and go, or 20 stories and go, no way, why would I do that? Now let your three-year-old toddler get away from you while you're on a tour, and then to your horror, you see they've gone four or five feet out onto a board. You suddenly will go out on that board, pick up your baby, and come back like an acrobat to the best of your ability, because what you see at risk is more important than your own life, and you're not Mom, thinking yeah. about yourself at the moment. Your maternal instinct That's takes it. over. Come on. That's the mama bear movement. Father, we pray the maternal instinct of the American female will become so activated like a she-bear coming out that it will deal with the lawlessness. It will literally push back on the darkness. It will resist the devil in such a way that the devil will flee from this movement. I pray you raise up Hispanic, African-American, Asian, uh, all nationalities of females to stand together releasing such confusion on the ranks of the manipulated media that they won't know how to characterize it. I pray for more evidence of the tragedy of what is happening with our children right now so that it becomes irrefutable front page testimony and that within the next 10 months, the mothers of America are gonna rise up and in a Malachi moment, they're going to literally be uh, pushing back against the enemy to put their arms around their family, and that you will use this for a family revival in the United States of America. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray, grant us boldness and show us what to pay attention to so that our fears dissolve in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Lance, thank you so much for being with us. I hope we can get you back really soon. Um, thanks for all you are doing for such a time as this. You're, you are a Mordecai, and we need you, so thank you. Appreciate you so much. God bless you. All right, everybody. So this is how you can engage with Don't Mess With Our Kids. This is a movement, and we need you to move with us, and we need you to recruit people. Who do you know that needs to hear this podcast? Who do you know that needs to come into this movement? Here's one of the most effective ways to do that. Join us for a live Zoom Monday morning, every single Monday for the next year. We are going to be meeting at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can go to don'tmesswitharkids.us slash live. Get on this live Zoom or at that same link, there is a replay. Make sure you watch that. Send it to everybody. Use the influence God gave you. Some of us have an influence of three people. Some right. of us can influence 13. Some of us can influence 50. Some can influence 500. Whatever it is, do it. Use it and influence others because that's how we're going to see things change for the good. Also, we are gathering many, many women 
to come into an Esther immersion. This will be a one year pray, fast, and stand. And we're going to immerse ourselves in the word of God in prayer. And I believe what Lance just prayed, that that spirit of intimidation is going to come off these women and we're going to stand in places and spaces in the sphere of culture with such strength. Because Shauna, I believe that when we go to Washington, DC in the fall of 2024 with a million women and their families, that we don't just show up in number, but we need to show up in strength with no fear. Right. And I believe the year beauty treatments that Esther had, I don't think that she needed to be prettier. She was about 14 years old. Yeah. <laughs> but what I do think is those beauty treatments gave her a strength, an inner strength mm-hmm. to stand before the king. And he would recognize a queen yeah. that she was standing with authority and she was identifying herself as a queen. And here's the deal. Jesus already tore the veil for you. You're already a queen. And now it's just coming into those beauty treatments for one year. So look at the show notes. We'll tell you how to get involved and we will see you next time.